0: Hello and welcome to episode one of season four of Let Creativity Podcast. This is your host, Alicia K. Hurst. Today's guest is Howard Berg, and I'm excited for you to listen to this conversation. Howard is a famous speed reader. He holds the Guinness World Record of speed reading, and he is here to tell us about how learning faster and more efficient can actually help with creativity. So please, without further ado, Howard Berg. All right. So welcome to the show. Uh, this is Howard Berg. How are you doing? I'm doing really well.
1: And what would your title be? What would you say your? Uh, I'm the world's fastest reader. I was in the Guinness Book in 1990, and no one ever replaced me. I read 80 pages a minute.
0: My goodness. Out of curiosity, I'm sorry to just start off right off the bat, but I, I am really curious about how does that, like, how do you get
1: tested for that? That's a good question. Um, most records, they send in a newspaper clipping or a news report on TV. And just one, I had five newspapers in five cities with five different reporters. And five news interviews on television in five different cities. So I had 10. Wow. So normally they'd have one. I had 10. So they were really reluctant to do reading. They said, How do you test it? But it was all different reporters from different they said you can't be friends with all of them. You know, they can't <laughs> all be your first cousin. So, you know, and the and the and the numbers were consistent. Like one show I read, um, I read an article on the physiology of nightmares in 90 seconds and the science reporter grilled me and I got a hundred. I did a TV show in Cleveland. I read an 1180 page book, four times in 20 minutes. They tested me, I got it right. And then two years later, as a goof, I went back on the show, not as a goof. It's a goof, they tested me on the book I hadn't read in two years and didn't give me the book. And I got a hundred on the second quiz
0: my goodness that that's pretty impressive and just for the listeners um of the show we are going to eventually get to how this can help creative
1: blacks and and, and how to do it i could show how them how it's done it. yeah
0: in addition and then um and how he can also teach how to become a genius on
1: demand which i can't wait to yes yes it's actually a learnable <laughs> skill my background is actually psychobiology the biology of behavior okay so i have a very good technical background. And when I got out of college, I was interested in consciousness. So I was in a yoga ashram. I studied all the different types of yoga and meditation. So I was interested in how the brain works from a biological perspective and from a metaphysical perspective, because it's consciousness. And really creativity is guided consciousness, making your mind perform in a way you desire it to perform. And I found that two disciplines came from two directions but combining the two systems, you could accomplish some amazing things.
0: Uh, that's, that's right up my alley. I, I've, I've read a lot about meditation. I've had my own meditative experiences. I've interviewed sure. one on um, getting to that meditative space and how it can do a lot of wonders. But um, going back to
1: you, how did what, How did you, this passion start? Uh, well, I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn. Which was a terrible place to grow up, lots of gangs. I met Bernardo. He had a knife. He wasn't dancing and singing like in My Side (laughs) Story. I found the safest place in my neighborhood was the library, because the kids and gangs would rather be dead than go up with a book in the library. So it was like a safe space. And I read a lot. And I read. I was reading like Theory of Relativity when I was eight. By the time I was eleven, I had college reading, and then I went to the state. University of New York at Binghamton, which is the top state college in the state of New York. I majored in biology when I was 17 and in my mm-hmm. junior year, the second half, I found an interest in the brain. So I told the dean I want to do bio insight. It's, it's called psychobiology, not psychotic biology. That's, that's Frankenstein. Psychotic <laughs> biology is the biology of behavior. He said, well, Howard, you only have one term left. You have no psych courses. You have to do the whole program in one year. And finished bio. So you'll need to take six science courses a term, which was 18 credits, just science, Jeez. two four-hour four labs. And lab reports were on slide rules. So it took 16 hours to do the math on a slide rule. That was, so it was 40 hours a lab, 18 credits of science, and had three jobs. I was working 18 hours a week on the side. Mm-hmm. He said, you're not smart enough. <laughs> and that's when it hit me. They never taught me how to learn in school. They tell you what to learn, why to learn, what when you don't learn, but you hear a song once on the radio and you know it your whole life. You read the seven habits of highly affected people and you don't know any habits the next day. <laughs> it's got to be a way to learn things you need, the way you learn the songs. I got up to 80 pages a minute. I did the psych program in one year. I took wow. the GRE, which is the SAT for graduate school in biology. So I reviewed 40, 48 books in three nights, like biochemistry, cell physiology genetics, plant systematics, not the lightest reading. And I got three questions wrong. So I was in the 99th percentile, I got an 800. My goodness. And then I wondered, was it me or the system? Cause there's a different thing. You're a freak, you can do this or you can teach how it works. So it's for children, 11 to 15, the system. And they did a 30 chapter book in lifelong developmental psych in one week. And then wow. they took the CLEP, which is an AP test, And 15 out of 18 got full college credit in one week. That's amazing. And they're doing this for 35 years. And we'll talk about tonight, how it's today, tonight, whatever it's (laughs) hot. We'll talk about how to do it. We'll get people started so they can actually experience it.
0: So you don't think that people have to be a certain, like have a certain intelligence level. This is for anyone. You have to be able to
1: read. I mean, it sounds funny, but (laughs) I've had people who were like bilingual and they didn't speak the language and. I can't speed read Chinese because I don't speak it. That's the good reason. And (laughs) if you don't speak English, you probably won't read it any faster than you do now because you don't know any words. But if you can read, we did a double-blind efficacy study. We used the Nelson-Denny, which is a standardized test for speed and comprehension. And to make sure the second test didn't make them look small because it was easier, we did a split test. 50 did A and B. 50 did B and A and we did an analysis of variance, which is a statistical tool to see if it varied. And both groups doubled or quadrupled in four hours with no loss of comprehension. Most doubled, normal people double. We've had exceptions go four, but it's in four hours without practice, instantly, immediately.
0: That's that's so exciting. Um, And then anyone with
1: learning disabilities, does that come into play at all? Many of my students were ADD or dyslexic. I'll just can I name a few of the. We had a, one young man graduated UTH 16 4.0 economics degree, OU for a master's in math at 19, 397 GPA. Another passed the bar in California at 19. Uh, another did four year college in six months online at um, Thomas Edison, became a missionary, learned Chinese in three weeks. And then sold this company when he was 40 for $38 million. Not uh, bad. Another one was, was a special ed student. She had third grade reading in the ninth grade. So they put her in special ed. So basically your career will be welcome to Walmart if you're lucky. And she didn't want that future. So she worked really hard. We told her how to fix it. When we got done, she finished with a two-year degree with a 4.0 when her friends in high school that she was in school with got the high school degrees. But well, she finished high school and two years of college, A plus average, full scholarship to Baylor, finished her bachelor's, went on for a master's at 22. And she was third grade reading in ninth grade. Now I can't say everybody's gonna do that, but she worked really hard. You yeah. gave the tools to use and she used them and it worked. Uh, you have to be willing to change what you're doing and listen to someone who knows what they're telling you and follow the instructions. If you just keep doing what's not working, you're <laughs> gonna get the same outcome.
0: <laughs> but that's really good news that it's not just for like a niche set of like people with the oh, qualities.
1: No. no, no, you have to be, we had a C student. Um, he, he had a C average at when he was 11. And we he went in my program, he finished high school at 15, got his two year degree, 17, his bachelor's at 19, master's in English at 21, English professor at 22. So at 11, he's a C student at 22. He's a He wasn't at Yale. The other one went to Yale as a professor. This He went to Tarrant Community College. But still, if you're a C student at 11, how many people say, hey, he's going to be an English professor when he's 22? Right. I'll tell you what changed it. We taught them how to learn.
0: Mm-hmm. Most
1: schools teach subjects. Before we taught science, math, language, we taught how do you learn? How do you think? How do you learn? How do you understand? What do you do when you're confused? How do you remember? How do you stay calm when you're taking a test? So now they're ready to perform. Now we give them subjects to learn because they know how it's done. No schools are doing that. And that's what's missing. We don't teach learning. We expect them to learn, admonish them when they don't learn, but we never told them what they did th- how to do it or what they're doing wrong so big surprise they didn't figure it out on their own The children <laughs> so um
0: actually just uh, i almost forgot about this about myself i used to work for um what is it called now or it used to be called anyways a company that would give tests to people to see where they're at and see how they learned and then they would say like, oh, we individualize um, teaching you how to um, get better grades. Um, gosh, I want to say it was, it was something like Kumon or one of those-
1: Sylvan maybe?
0: Right, Sylvan, yes, thank you. Is the, what you do like different?
1: The guy who owned Sylvan was Barry Fowler, if you remember, W Barry. He's a friend of mine and he endorsed me. Oh. Uh, at the best <laughs> program you seen, And the guy who won Evelyn Woods hired me to teach my program to his son instead of Evelyn Woods. And, That's and I went past speed reading to speed learning. We'll see how today. So it's, it's always nice when people agree that you did something good, but I always get excited by the individuals I work with because I think of them as my family. And when I see a, a young person getting A's that was failing, uh, it makes me feel like I've done something good with my life. It's just a very rewarding way to make a, a living.
0: Yeah, I'd imagine so. And then for those people to show other people like, hey, um,
1: you know. You can do this. You can do that. Yeah, it's possible. It, it is. It is possible. It doesn't require remarkable skill or ability. Just the willingness to follow the path that works. And it's not hard to follow. I could show you some of it today if you'd like. Sure, sure. Do you want, I, I'm, go ahead. Like, do your thing. Well, <laughs> so, It's actually, what makes this, most spearing programs don't work. And I'll tell you why. I was on uh, MSNBC about 30 years ago, 25, when uh, it first launched about 25, 26 years ago. And Dick Cavett, he was a famous talk show host in the 70s and 80s, sort of like Johnny Carson, Mm -hmm. uh, Stephen Colbert. He was the Stephen Colbert of 1970s. -hmm. And he was on MSNBC and we had an interview and we got to be friends. We sat down after the interview. I stayed another hour to talk. And he said, um, he interviewed Woody Allen. He said, Woody took Evelyn Woods. He read War and Peace in five minutes. It's, it's like this big. He said, what do you remember? <laughs> he said, it's about the Russian Revolution. That's all I remember. That was speed reading. It was a biology book. It's a book about math. But if you slowed down and learn something, you didn't know, you lost your speed. You always had to go fast, or you couldn't go fast anytime. <laughs> and I fixed that. Uh, so let me show you first how to go fast, which is what they all do, and then how to fix the problem that they all had in the past. Okay. When this is over, find a book you've read, preferably nonfiction, and read for a minute with a timer. Don't do anything special. Just do what you normally would do. See how far you get. And the timer beeps, put a pencil mark in the margin. That's how far I read. Now, imagine. Go to the second chapter. Take your hand. And go across one line at a time with your eyes following your hand. And this is the key. As fast as you could comprehend. So as long as you know what you're reading, go quicker and quicker and quicker until you don't. Then you know that's where it got too fast because I should know what I'm reading. I know the book. Right. Slow down just enough so your comprehension comes back. And for five minutes, go as fast as you can understand. Moving your eye one line at a time with your hand. I'll go back to the first chapter where you tested yourself for a minute. Again, for one minute, read as fast as you can with your hand, and you'll go 20 to 40 percent past the line you put in the first minute. It's that easy to start. That's Interesting.
0: So does it have something to do with the visual focusing of the of the lines? So you're not your brain's
1: not taking in the rest of the information. It's just that one information. That's a good point. It's doing i I'll tell you exactly what it's doing. So when you're driving in a car on a highway, it's not unusual to go 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. And some people go a lot faster than that. <laughs> and you're reading the road. You call it reading the road. Front, back, left, right. You're watching your gauges. You're watching your GPS. You're listening to your radio. You're talking to your friends. You're on the phone. And you're bored. <laughs> and you're bored. You read a book at 200 words a minute. That's the mode, the most common speed. And the next day you're lucky to remember 10%, Why right? Are those two things so different? In the car, everything is like a movie. And you're mm-hmm. processing things visually as pictures, analog. In a book, you're hearing with your eyes one word at a time. Someone's talking to you in your head. Which right. Is what most people read as fast as they talk. By learning to be more visual, and less auditory, more analog, less digital. A normal person can go two to four times faster in a few uh-huh. hours' time with better understanding. I sh- I could show you that next if you'd like.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It's almost taking out, well. I'm I'm just kind of thinking about how I read and <laughs> I'm gonna embarrass myself because my reading. Comp- I um, used to love to read when I was younger, but for whatever reason, as I got older, I could only read maybe like three or four pages, and then I'd fall asleep.
1: There's <laughs> a reason.
0: It's boring because your yeah. brain
1: is so used to movies and television and seeing and reading is speech spe- speech speed. So it's like speed this up. It's boring me. I can't, <laughs> give me something to do. So we're reading at the speed at which you can see. Mm-hmm. So suddenly it's not so boring anymore. It comes alive. Right. But, but the trick is comprehension because I think you'd agree it's more important to remember and understand and read fast. So yeah. Would you like me to show you how comprehension works? Please. Well, when I finished school, I took graduate courses and how to teach reading. And one of the elements that's key is called schema and I'll demonstrate what it does. I'm gonna read a passage with no schema and watch how confusing the simple words become so your brain has no idea what I'm telling you. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and it cost you quite a bit of money. And I'm gonna guess it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now I'm gonna read it again with a title, one word, but it has schema. And instantly, it all makes sense. Are you ready? Yeah. Laundry, laundry, <laughs> this is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake and It may cost you quite a bit of money. I'm teaching people what their brain is looking for to make sense. Of the word. So even though they're going two, three, four times faster, they're actually comprehending better. Even in things like science and math and law that are highly technical, you can read it much quicker with better understanding when you're using the brain's natural decoding mechanism, not just the mechanics of moving the hand. So I'm using psychology and mechanics, not just the mechanics. In the past, When you went to slow down and learn something, you lost your speed. With Mm -hmm. this, you could slow down when you need to learn a new word or an idea and then immediately go fast again. So it fixed the big problem that speed reading has. And plus it's better for learning, which is key. Most people do not want to read fast. They want to learn fast, understand better, and be able to do something with it when they're done. And we'll cover all that today on the show.
0: All right, that's great. Cause I know I've personally, I've restored I'm, I, I keep going back to, it's interesting because I know in my brain, I'm a very visual person. Cause I like to like paint and draw and all that good stuff. But so when I read the visuals come up and that does slow things down. So it's like, you're switching that from, it's like, no, take that part out,
1: but make the visuals happen with the words, not your imagination. See, see pictures. And then, When you play back your movie, you can see all the details in the movie and that turns back to words. Mm -hmm. So you you can take in a lot more data that way very quickly.
0: All right. So what would be the next um, uh, thing that you could show us or talk about? How to remember.
1: Because I don't care how small you important. you don't remember anything much (laughs) That's pretty important. Right. (laughs) People say, "Well, you read 80 pages a minute, do you remember anything? I remember a lot. And so can you. And there's a lot of ways to do it. I'm going to show one. We don't have four hours to to learn the whole system. But I'm going to give you 10 things to remember in our audience. And I won't show you how. That's our control group. And you'll do very poorly. (laughs) And I'll show you how and it'll be effortless, just like schema. In fact, this is so simple, this could be taught to three-year-olds and they will learn it. It's literally because I've done that. Oh just normal kids. So here are the 10 things you want to remember. Pole, shoes, tricycle, car, glove, gun, dice, skate, cat, and bowling pins. And if you're a normal person, you might remember a few. But if I said, do you remember the whole list backwards and forwards with no effort? Probably not. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's pretty good. You will know it backwards and forwards in three minutes effortlessly. Two caveats. First, you remember 10% of what you read And 90% of what you say and do. This isn't a drill. This is a tool. You will use it. So to lock it in, when I say say and do, do that to lock it in. Two, the ancient Greeks discovered this shortcut. Take a list you know. It's hanging in your brain. And what do we do with a hanger? We hang things on it. And we're gonna use the numbers from one to 10 that are hanging in your memory because I bet you know how to count to 10. <laughs> to learn 10 things super fast. Are you ready? Yep. The number one looks like a pole. Think of a flagpole or a light pole, a lamp pole. It's got a one shape. Okay. When I say one, you say pole. Are you ready? One. Yep. Pole. Good, you got one right. Two is shoes. <laughs> That's how many shoes you wear. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Good. Three is a tricycle. How many wheels on a tricycle? Three. What's three? Tricycle. What's two? Uh, Shoes. What's one? Pull. You're looking for your pictures. I'm watching your eyes. (laughs) Four is a car. Four tires on a car. What's four? Car. Go to two. Jump. Two. Shoes. One. Pull. Three. Tricycle. Getting smarter. Your brain learning (laughs) the system. Five is a glove. How many fingers are in a glove? Five. What's five? Glove. What's three? Tricycle. What's one? Pole. Going <laughs> oh, faster. Six gun. They love them in Texas. The Cowboys. Six gun. What's six? Six gun? Oh, gun. Yes. Four. Um, Car. Two. Shoes. Perfect. Lucky seven and dice. Lucky seven and dice. What's seven? Dice. Five is a uh, Give me a clue. Gloves. What's three? Tricycle. One. Pole. You're almost done. Rhymes work. Say eight skate, eight skate. What's eight? Skate six. What did they love in Texas? Um, dice six. Oh, six. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, that's how you learn. Six. Uh, six is uh, gun. <laughs> that's it. That's okay. That's how the brain learns. When it's correcting, it's re- it's it's setting up the memory pattern. So four, car, two, shoes. Perfect. Two more. Nine. How many lives does a cat have? Nine. What's nine? Cat. Seven was lucky and lucky. Uh dice. Five is a gloves. Three is a tricycle. One is a uh pole. One more. Ten. How many bowling pins in a lane? Ten bowling pins. What's ten? Um bowling pins. Let's do the list that you couldn't do together. One. Uh pole. Two. Shoots. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. Six. Texas. Um, gun. Seven is lucky in. Dice. Eight rhymes with. Escape. What's nine? Cat. And 10 is um, bowling pins. There you go. Now, here's how you use it. This is how to speed learn numbers. Numbers are tricky. You ever go to a hotel and your room was 314. By the time you got downstairs, you forgot what room you were in. Here's how you remember numbers: you make it into a movie with pictures. Three is a tricycle, one is a pole, four is a car. Picture this: a tricycle hits a pole on a car. Picture that: a tricycle hits a pole on a car. A tricycle, what number, three. It's a pole, one on a car, four. That's your hotel room. It's also pi in geometry, uh, yeah. and I teach this to kids for math, science, and history. In business, due dates, percentages, room numbers, phone numbers. The zero, Because the alphabet and numbers is zero to nine. Those are the only numbers. There's place values, units, tens, but it's a zero or a nine, somewhere in between. The 10 bowling pins is your zero. Mm. So now you know how to speed learn numbers. Turn it into pictures, make a movie out of the picture that's engrossing and captivating, play your movie, and you can convert it back to a number.
0: Okay, interesting. So do you have any, are are there anybody
1: that has issues with picturing pictures? Actually, there was once. I I was working with an editor and she was the kind of editor that looked for the dots on the eyes. Of course, she wasn't reading words. She was reading letters and she had a tremendous amount of problems. And I said, you know, given what you do for a living, it may not be something you should be doing because this is your core skill. I said most people would not see the dots on the I's and the crosses on the T's and every semicolon and comma. That's a a different kind of gift. And I think that doing it this way for you would be counterproductive. But how many people do you know are proofreaders at a major publisher? Right. So for those people, perhaps may not be something... They should do because this skill is the complete opposite, (laughs) like the super detailed. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so how can you, how does this help with creative blocks?
1: Perfect. Great question. There's three levels of learning, and this is related to creativity, literal, implied and inferential. And I'm going to do an example of each, and then I'm going to show you how to use this to elicit genius. So I want you to imagine you see a giant circle and there's a dot in the middle. What are you seeing? Just what, just what I described. What did you just see? A uh, circle with a dot. That's literal. That's literal. There's nothing to interpret. There's no, nothing to know. It's a circle. And that's how most people learn. They memorize things in a book. They have no idea what it means, or how to use it. But if someone asked them, uh, oh, they know the word. They know the word, they don't know why it matters or how to use it, but they, that's literal learning. It's very boring and that's how most people learn. The next level of learning is called implied. A circle with a dot is a symbol of the sun. It's a symbol of the sun in two disciplines, astronomy and astrology, because once the two were the same, they are now. Obviously uh, astronomers don't study astrology anymore, but there was a time when all astronomers did study that and all astrologers were astronomers. In fact, Isaac Newton was an astrologer. Most people don't know that. He was a pretty smart guy. So that's more interesting now than it's a circle with a dot. It's the symbol of the sun. Now I'm gonna tell you it's the meaning of life. You're gonna say, what? A circle with a dot? This is how like Buddha would have taught. Okay, a point is infinitesimally small. Wherever you look around you, there's an infinite number of points. You can't see any of them. Mm-hmm. So it symbolizes spirit or God, something that's omnipresent, fills everything, everywhere you look, and it's invisible. You never see it. So a point is symbol of spirit. The circle is a symbol between self and not self. In the circle is you. Out of the circle is everything that isn't you. So what does this say? That inside of everyone is one thing, spirit. So it looks different, acts different, seems different, but we're all one thing at our center. So everything in creation is a singularity that expresses itself through duality. So even though we see and live in a world of form and everything separate, at its center, everything is just this one thing, consciousness made into form. Mm. And that's a lot more interesting than it's a circle with a dot in the <laughs> middle. That's the creative level. Now, how do you get there? When we normally read, we read letters, and we were trained at an early age to convert them to sounds. So D O G Dog. And that's why you're here with your eyes, because you were trained to turn those pictures called letters into sounds. And that's using the parietal lobe. And that's how our brain reads. Mm -hmm. When you're reading in a more of a an abstract system like astrology or numerology or tarot. And this is what Carl Jung was studying, symbols in the mass consciousness. And I got interested in what are symbols actually doing? So if you're looking at a symbol for love or hate, fear or optimism, the part of your brain that's decoding that is not the part of the brain that listens, but the part of the brain that feels, which is the limbic system, the emotional brain. Mm -hmm. And so you're trained, I'll show you how that would work. So you have to ask the right questions. Remember the old game hot and cold. Someone would leave the room, you hide something. And if they got closer, you said you're getting warm, warmer, hotter, further away, cold, cold. Here's how you would use it. So if you ask a question that has an emotional significance, see, you said, Howard, do I need a root canal? And I said, no, you need 10 root canals. How would you feel? Awful. Awful, unless you're the dentist. (laughs) Unless (laughs) you're the dentist, not so good. She said, Howard, did I win the lottery? He said, yeah, you won won $60 million. How would you feel? Amazing. So based on your question, how should you feel, good or bad, if it's a yes? And how do you feel, good or bad? So based on your feelings, which is the limbic system, you can get a yes or no. If you ask a number of yes and no questions and you feel the answer is yes or no based on if it's good or bad, mm-hmm. you can get a lot of information. The unconscious brain does not use words. That's why when you have something, it's like, I know I need to be doing something. I don't know what it is. Your unconscious doesn't tell you what it is. It just gives you a feeling, right? A sensation, epiphany. So by doing it this way, we're translating those feelings into meaningful data. So sort of like Morse code. The beauty of this is the more you do it, is you know the brain wires up. If you use neural pathways repeatedly, they become superconductors. They get myelin and they work quicker and quicker like an insulator around a wire. So, as you're using your limbic system, your instinctive brain, and your forebrain, your cognitive brain, over and over and over and over, eventually it's spontaneous. Mm. And you start getting epiphanies whenever you need them. And you get these feelings, but you learn how to translate those feelings very rapidly into useful. And executable data that right. you can act on, and it's a learnable skill. It takes a little practice, like every learning to read took practice, learning to write took practice. This takes practice, but the average person can learn to do this, and and do it well. And when you and I'll show you some examples in in, in business. Back see the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, a cell phone looked a lot like Captain Kirk's communicator. If you remember back then, It all <laughs> yes. flipped open. That was a cell phone. And they were huge. <laughs> they were huge. They were like the size of a shoe. Like, <laughs> get smart. So Steve Jobs looks at this and says, you know, if we turn that screen into a monitor and I throw a chip in there, we can make a little computer that, te- that can make calls, but we could also put software in it and do a lot of things. And how did that work? He called it an iPhone. I think it made some money. Then he looked at it again. He said, you know, I can make that screen a lot bigger. And, and, and then we'll call it an iPad. How did that work out? Pretty pretty well. Another example, uh, the richest man in the world. Well, not right now. Elon Musk is the richest man now. He just passed Jeff Bezos. But uh, Jeff Bezos had been the richest man in the world for the last few years. <clears throat> His business model is based on Sears and J.C. Penney's old model. They made a catalog, and when people were settling the West and had no stores, they'd order from the catalog. It would come from trains and Wells Fargo to the house, because there was no way to get those things locally. Mm-hmm. They're going bankrupt, both of those companies. They're losing stores, they're hemorrhaging money. Bezos took the idea of a catalog, put it online. Put it mm-hmm. online, <laughs> all he did. The JCPenney catalog, the Sears catalog is what we call Amazon. They had the business, they had the infrastructure, they had the supply chain. They never thought, let's put this online. They're going bankrupt. He's the richest man in the world. What was the difference? His vision. And I believe what it's about is the unconscious brain, the instinctive brain. When we were evolving from... Uh, of pleopithecus, pleiopithecus, osteopithecus, triopithecus, ramopithecus, all the way to being humans. There was a time we didn't talk and we were as relying on our instincts to survive as all the other animals. And that's part of our limbic system, gut instinct, fear, joy. Your feelings will guide you away or towards things. Well, we've become very linguistic and we quietly shut down that part of our brain that's primitive, that kept us going for all those years. I think that part of our brain is very intuitive. It feels things and it it can do things our conscious brain is limited by. And by tuning into that powerful instinct that kept us alive before we could talk through the symbols that activate that area of the brain, we can tap into our instinctive genius that's been there, but we keep it quiet because we talk so much.
0: No, I absolutely I agree, and it it echoes my own personal experience and um, uh, what I've seen in others. Um, but just the fact that, like, if you take any art medium and you um, do exactly what you said, kind of say to yourself, "What you know? Okay, I just made this art. What do I like about it? What do I, do I not like about it? What about the process do I like about it? What do I not like? And just go towards what you like." But what I found, um. Because I'm an art therapist, so I've worked with a lot of people <laughs> in this realm. Makes sense. Makes what sense. what I found is that they um, what stops them from going towards what they like is what they think they should be doing.
1: Logic, yeah, they're not going with their gut and their right. feelings, and that's what's ca- causing most people to lack the full creativity. They're overanalyzing life instead of living it instinctively, and then taking that instinct and creating an action pattern. Yeah, so I'm super happy you're talking about this. (laughs) I'll tell you another thing. Very Magic is real. I mean, real magic, not illusions. I'll show you, I'm going to show you magic, real magic. If you look around you, everything that exists in your world that wasn't created by nature, a plant or a rock or an animal was a thought. Somebody thought of making the computer you're on the headset your sweater your clothes mm-hmm. someone thought of making the building you're in everything starts off as an idea magic is turning thoughts into things mm-hmm. that's all it is that's what magi means wisdom magi magic it's learning how to turn your ideas into reality mm-hmm. and so we start with a, an instinctive sense of i want to do something i desire something i want to paint something i want to write something, I want to create something, and you envision in your imagination what it would look like, what the chair you're sitting in would look like, the desk you're sitting at would look at. And then you think, how do I make this? How do I, where are the parts I need? What is the blueprint I need to make this thing actually happen? Yeah. And it turns into a real thing in the real world that everyone could see and use, but it all started as an invisible idea in your mind that's what magic is really about
0: they need to add that to schools a magic class like ex- how you just ex- to teach people like how to go from one idea to actually make it in
1: that's what i teach you know how? <laughs> they need can, to be i can they, read 10 books in three hours done so the books are by people who are doing something i want to do i don't know how to do it but they do And they're doing it, and they wrote a book on how to do it because it worked. If you read one book, maybe they got lucky. Ten people doing what you dream of doing don't get lucky. That's a business plan. That's something you can put into operation. So you start with have a dream, find people who are doing the thing you're dreaming of, who've written guidebooks on how they did it, assimilate the data, Reflect on it in your mind, look for connections to take it in another direction, and then find the master plan through your thinking and analysis to implement that dream into reality. And that's what songwriters do. That's what authors do. That's what you do with art therapy. It's a learnable skill. That's how you make a living. You're teaching how to do it everyone can do this. It's not a magic trick in that only some people can do it, but you have to be willing to learn how to trust those instincts and learn how to read. They go to Berg Learning, B-E-R-G, learning.com. We Mm -hmm. have programs on how this is done, how to read fast. I wrote a book in five hours that went number one on Amazon the next day, how to write fast, how to remember, how to do math fast. They're very learnable, very, very doable, but you know, I've been doing this for 35 years. I've gotten really good at it after 35 years of doing it. And I've gotten good at teaching it so normal people can learn to do it too. And that to me is the real joy. Me doing it doesn't help anybody. But imagine if, imagine if every day for the rest of your life, you read a book and learned a new business skill every day in an hour, one hour a day. At the end of the year, you learn 365 skills. You didn't know last year and the next year and the next year and the next year. Where will you be 20 years from now with all these skills and abilities that you didn't have before? How much more successful would you be? That's I, that's my vision. Can I give you a specific? We had a group of children, 11 to 15. One of these kids' brothers had Down syndrome. They were very concerned. They wanted to help find a cure. Oh, they were 11 years old. They're not gonna find a cure. So they decided to raise money to get mice they use for Downs research that are very expensive. Hmm. So they read books on how to build a website, built a website by themselves. They read books on public speaking, became public speakers. In their first year, they made 93,000 American dollars. They were 11 to 15. And they won the silver pyramid, which is the Oscar in advertising. And they beat Rotary and the Red Cross in cancer care. You're 11 years old. Your first year in business, you made $93,000. How many adults would mind doing that? And you were the best not for profit company in America. Imagine if we taught our children this. Yeah. What if we taught all the people listening how to do this? What would that do for their bottom line and their lives? That's why I'm here. It can be done, it is learnable, it is replicable. I've given you pieces of it to show you that, yeah, that will work because it did.
0: That is that's really amazing. I'm um, so grateful that you are sharing this with people. And what the website again was BergLearning.com. And we have
1: some free lessons. They could try You know, we have like trial. You can enroll and try for a week. You don't like it, then drop it. But we have very high retention rate because it, it gives people what we promise, and we have a good support staff. And I'll give you a little, if they don't help, I do. I want to know why someone's having a problem because I have to fix it. So Mm. no one has Mm -hmm. the problem again. And over 35 years, I fixed it enough times. There's very few people that have any problems that I haven't fixed. And it makes me feel good that they're able to do it. They're very rare. They need help. But if they need it, I want to know. I'm the president of my Rotary Club, Familiar Rotary. You know, we we try to help people. And I feel my calling is to help people get smarter. So they can make a better living, have a better life, and make sure their kids finish school and don't live with them till they're forty. <laughs> you're older. If you're older. I'm a little. I'm seventy-two. As you get older, your brain goes. Well, mine's not going because I keep using it. The brain mm-hmm. is like a muscle. If you sit in a chair and watch TV all day, that's what your brain's good at: sitting and watching TV. If right. Writing books and lecturing and doing things with your brain, learning an instrument. You're going to gonna keep young. Your brain's not going to atrophy. They found the single best way to stay fit mentally as you're aging is reading. It stimulates the part of the brain that's healthy to stay healthy longer. So that's what I do. And, and I love what I'm doing. It's, it's very rewarding and helpful. And I do a lot of volunteer. Like I'm working with kids in Haiti for free. They have no money. What are they going to pay me with? They have no food. What do I do? Don't eat? Teach me how to read? No. I worked in a uh, school in Malawi, which is the poorest country in the world. They have nothing. So that's what you do. You know, you you make a living with people who can afford what you do, doing and then you pay it forward to people that need the help and could never afford to help. And, and that's another thing I do as a Rotarian is I, I pay it forward.
0: Really good stuff. This is really... Um... Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here and sharing this. Um, Are you ready for the four questions on creativity? Yes, I am. All right, so I asked you, what is creativity? And you said creativity is being able to see what everyone else sees
1: differently. Yes, that's correct. Bill um, Steve Jobs saw a mini computer, everyone else saw a small cell phone. Yeah. That, that's a perfect example. Or another one would be Blockbuster. They made a fortune, put everyone out of business because they bought them by the train log and mm-hmm. no one could compete Till someone said, we don't need a store. We can put it in the Uh came Netflix and we could do it in the mail. What happened to Blockbuster? Right. They'd belly up. Then another company called Redbox said we don't need the mail. We put it in front of every store for a buck. <laughs> and what happened? Netflix changed their business model. How many people get DVDs in the mail? Almost right. no one. Yeah, they they succeeded where Blockbuster failed. Blockbuster could have changed their business model; they'd still be here. But they I benefited. was
0: I was just gonna ask that, like, do companies have like a visionary persons to help them like figure out like how
1: you know how not to be like Blockbuster and <laughs> the, the ones making money do yeah. look at Apple today. It's without Jobs. I mean, what have they done? revolutionary since job they keep changing the iphone they keep making new ipads yeah what have they done at that level of a new iphone a new product like an iphone or a new ipad they really haven't they're good at what they do and they make a fortune with what they have but they're not innovating like they did what he was when he was the visionary he yeah was, he was the company
0: um and then what do you love about creativity? You so said the ability to create epiphanies on demand.
1: Well, there's so many problems in the world. I look at what we're giving our children, we're giving them global warming, exploding deficits. We're giving them um, viruses. I think we need to do more than that. We have to teach them how to learn, to be smart enough to fix the problems. In fact, Would you like me to solve an unsolvable problem? In 90 sure. seconds, three of them. Uh, okay. How do you solve? How do you go completely green, make money for the oil, gas, and coal companies, get hundreds of thousands of jobs and pay off the natural debt all at the same time? Would that Ow. be a good that would be simple? great? <laughs> okay. How do you make electricity? You spin a wire coil through a magnet or you spin a ma- or you spin a magnet around a wire coil. That's basically how you make electricity. What spins it? Well, if you have water, that's great, but there's only so many places you can do that. So they use steam. They burn coal, they burn oil, they burn gas. Uh, they use nuclear energy to make heat and they make steam. And that's part of the problem. Well, in Iceland, they use geothermic energy because it's a volcano, basically. Yeah. They have lots of water. So they heat the water up from the volcanic magma. And they make electricity, which is totally green, which is great. So all we need is America to be a volcano. But I think it's safe to say we're not. However, we have the largest super volcano in the world in Yellowstone with tons of water. Oh. There's also another field in California where they have skiing. And they found a huge magma field in North, Northeast America under in Vermont, Massachusetts. It hasn't come out of the ground yet, but it's huh. there. So imagine now... The oil, gas, and coal companies put up the money not to, to make to make um, geothermic power plants at Yellowstone. Yeah. So I'm gonna say it's a lot easier to find magma in Yellowstone than a new oil field. And they put up the money, the people being displaced, like the coal miners, build the infrastructure. It's yeah. gonna need infrastructure. And it's on federal land. That means they can charge a usage tax for every vote that comes out of there and gear it to paying off the national debt. So that sounds great. Completely green, made a profit center instead of competing with them. You're giving people jobs that are displaced and looking for work and you're helping pay off the national debt with every kilowatt. It's still gonna be cheaper because you don't have to look for new oil and gas. So right. even with the tax, it'll probably be cheaper per kilowatt hour. So who's going to care? And you're paying off the national debt. So that's, a, that's an example of creativity applied to a real problem. I wish there were more people like, um, I mean, has that
0: been uh, besides yourself? Has anyone else like thought
1: of that? <laughs> no, no. There's a reason. You know, there's a reason we're in trouble. People aren't thinking. Cause or, or they're not thinking in that way. They're
0: thinking in other ways to make money about them. Or it's not. You want the secret?
1: Yeah. You want the right answer? You have to ask the right question. If the question is, why am I stupid? Your brain will tell you why. If the question <laughs> is, how can I get smarter? Your brain will tell you how. Most people ask the wrong question. Why do I have to learn this? It's stupid. Instead mm. of, how do I learn it faster and better? Mm. If you want good answers to problems, you have to ask better questions. And when you get the right answers, you find solutions. That's the key questions and answers. Um,
0: the next one, why do you, or what do you not like about creativity? The challenges
1: in bringing your idea to fruition. That's a common, the the hardest part about creativity is what makes you very good at creativity may not make you good at business. Right? So like Dan Kennedy is a very brilliant businessman. He's a friend of mine. He said, you know, you have the best mouse trap on the planet. And you're going to assume everyone will buy it. No. You have to know how to sell the best bounce trap on the planet. And many people who are very good at creativity are not business people. That's why you often will see a Steve Jobs has a Wozniak. Yeah. Or, or Bill Gates had his 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 business mentor. What makes you good in one area of creativity doesn't necessarily make you good at making a living doing it. So you need a team. yeah, Different skill sets that that complement one another. And then the creativity generates what it's supposed to. But just being creative by itself does not guarantee success. I tell people reading and learning doesn't mean you'll be successful, but not reading and learning guarantees you'll fail. (laughs) Priya? Um, where is your creativity?
0: And you said, I am the world's fastest reader and can write a book in five hours.
1: Yes, I have. I have done that.
0: So do you, would you say your creativity
1: is in your mind? I think there's more than the mind. That was a good question. When I was studying psychobiology, I studied genetics and I studied learning and motivation. And, you know, if you asked me back then, I'd say basically we're a machine. We have neuro, we have a computer called the brain. If you know the genetics, you know the environment, you know the upbringing, you can predict a lot. And then I thought about it, I said, you know, if you look at the neural connections in a Michelangelo, would you see the statue of David? If you looked at the neural connections in a a Da Vinci, would you see the Mona Lisa? It's more than just connections. There's something greater called consciousness. We're greater than just the neurons in our brain. There's something bigger and greater and and more powerful than just genetics and just a nervous system. And tapping into that is where the genius comes from. And by the way, that's what Berg learning is about. Berg learning is learning how to tap into that part of your brain that'll make you successful by empowering new ideas, by learning new things faster.
0: Beautiful. Was there anything else that um, you wanted to go over that I didn't, um, or that you didn't have a
1: chance? Just one thing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm appalled at what's going on today in our world. No one says there's too many smart people making too many good decisions. I've heard that from anyone. <laughs> and I'm looking at our future generation and it's going to be tough. AI is going to take away 30% of all the jobs in the next five to 10 years. No truck drivers, it will be computers. Why would you want someone... Who needs to take a break when you're going to have a machine drive 24 hours a day and not need to stop? Yeah. What are they going to do? What are half a million people going to do who drive trucks? Become neuroscientists? Unlikely. So the solution is to help people learn how to learn so they can learn new things fast enough so when things change, which they do at an alarming pace, you're on top of the change, not behind it. You're not sitting there saying, what happened? I can't make a living. It used to be one man with one job, in 1950. One man worked one job, bought a house, put two cars in the garage. He went to college, put his kids through college. He had sick time, vacation, pension, health plan, vacation days, one income, one person. Today, two people working two or three jobs can't make ends meet. Yeah. The answer isn't working more jobs and the answer isn't working more hours. It's being smarter, finding a skill that pays better and will stay ahead of the changes that are taking place. And that's not a magic trick. That's about learning. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm here to help people do. Learn what they need. You're going to learn two ways. You're going to learn from books, from people who have done this for ready and from other people. And if they go to berglearning.com, they can get started on their odyssey, becoming a better and faster learner so their kids can finish school successfully, not live with them till they're 40, which is happening a lot. Their parents don't turn into vegetables when they hit 70 Mm -hmm. because they kept their brain young. And they're making a living. And when things change, they can make a different living. It's just a quick transition when you're smart. But when you're not, You look around and say, what the hell happened? I have a college degree. I worked my butt off and I'm broke. And it's a tragedy. And we can fix it by empowering people with learning skills. And that's why I'm here to tell them I know how to do that. And if they'll give me the opportunity, I can help them reach those goals too. And I'll make sure they learn those things or they don't pay me. My feeling is you shouldn't pay for something you didn't get.
0: Very important point. Um, and also I can imagine that when changes do happen in the AI world, they'll happen fast. Um, so I, I appreciate you um, and the passion that you have behind it too. It tells me like you're, you're really
1: in it for- it's, It matters to me. I have grandkids, it matters to me. Uh, why do you think Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Warren Buffett are screaming about the crisis on the horizon with AI? They see it coming. They see that jobs that people with low education have done from time memorial, even sex, they're using robots. That was, that was the bottom line one, right? If you had nothing else, <laughs> you could do that. Not that it's a great job, but that was a job. Even that job's going to be a robot. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, There's no more jobs. <laughs> you better learn how to think. You better learn how to build a company. You better learn, how to stay ahead of what's going on, or you're going to be sitting there wondering what happened and why am I in trouble? Because that's what's happening more and more. Boy, the coal mine is out of work. They still use coal. They just don't need them. They have machines doing the work of 20 people. Mm-hmm. So 19 people lost their job. They're not coming back. They, right. they don't need them. They can do one person what 20 people did, and it's only going to get worse. But people who are smart, people who can learn, people who understand, people who are creative. They will always be successful no matter what's going on. And that's what I'm hoping our audience wants to be. And that's why I'm at birdlearning.com. I'm ready to help them, but I can only help them if they help themselves. They have to go there and actually take a step. I can't reach them. They have to reach me. But when they do, I will make sure they get what they want Wonderful.
0: Thank you again for being on the show. And everyone, this is Howard Berg, and he is at berglearning.com. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, Howard Berg, for being on the show. Audience, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I just love his passion and his sense of humor. I can only imagine his courses and webinars are highly entertaining as well as educational. And on that note, he is actually offering a free webinar for all veterans. So if you are a veteran or if you know a a veteran, please have them go to howardwarrior.com to sign up for that webinar. I think it's in November 20th and it's to teach how to uh, speed learn. So both comprehension and reading, and it's absolutely free. Thanks again for listening and come back for more. Thanks. Bye.